Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. So, oh, we'll just let the ice cream van get out of the way. <laughs> Wait, is that you, yours? Yeah, it's outside our house. Does anyone want anything? <laughs> I'll get a strawberry mimi. <laughs> Right, there we go. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Sometimes you just get the feeling it isn't your day. Watford fans had that feeling on Tuesday, while City fans could sense something was up at Wembley on Saturday. Talk about a tale of two cities. They had no problem converting chances at Vicarage Road in a dead rubber, but in the vital FA Cup semi-final, they could have played all day without finding the net. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast, as we decide to turn our attention towards the maestro David Silva. His time at City is quickly coming to an end, so we're taking this week of dead rubbers as an opportunity to celebrate his last decade at the Etihad. We're also going to finish our series of reviews on the 2010s as we look back at last year's extraordinary campaign and we'll look ahead to the final match of the season as City take on Norwich. I'm David Mooney and with me this week is Mr Stat City himself, Adam Carter. Hello. And Goal.com's Jonathan Smith. How are we doing? So as I mentioned there, uh, FA Cup disappointment, Adam. Um, why why couldn't City turn up for the, for the, the one day where, where the pressure's on on the one big occasion in lockdown? Why was City not there? I think it was a typical case, a classic case of Pep Guardiola overthinking it. Um, I tweeted before the game, we'd had too long to think of every interview, every restart documentary, every comment, fans and club alike, were all geared to these two cup runs, the FA Cup and the Champions League. And I just fear it was a case of Pep having too long to think about it. The players having too long to think about it. They should be professional enough to put in a performance, but it was just flat and would not looked like a team that was going to put a flat performance in in the lead-up. It was the perfect build-up, so we can't complain about that. I think the Chelsea game was a game too far uh, when we, we lost at the bridge. But other than that, you know, the Southampton game, uh, where we looked a bit toothless up front, but that can happen. Uh, but this game, it wasn't even just a case of being toothless up front. Um, I think you tweeted saying we could be there until midnight and we still wouldn't have scored. Um, I think it's just a case of that game being too... The focus had almost been too much on it from too far, too long into the run-up. Yeah, John, it was... It, like as, as soon as Arsenal scored, we like everybody went, well, this, this is trouble now. Yeah, um, City don't really come back from a goal down at the moment. And they seem to have this habit of, as soon as they go behind, they, they do create chances, they just don't take any. And I thought it was, just as much as City were bad, I thought it was a, a success for Mikel Arteta and, and shows why he was so highly thought of by people at City and why Arsenal took him. Because I thought he got his tactics right. He, he stopped City from playing. Coupled with the fact that they weren't at it, they just... First half, they were just nowhere near what was what is their best. They, they were slow. The movement was was poor. Um, sort of, there was a, sort of a lack of initi- initiative in, in trying to come up with something different. It was only in the second half where they sort of started shifting players around. De Bruyne coming out wide, that kind of stuff. But like like you say, by the time it was one 0 you, you you had a a daunting feeling that they're not going to come back into this because it's just not been happening this season. Why, why, John, does City cross the ball so much when the, when things are not going well? Why, why is it? Why is it that they just resort to, to to getting it in the box as soon as they can? Well, I think it comes down to the opposition on on the, on Saturday because they played very narrow, squeezed the pace space. Sorry, um, you know, line players up in the in the box, pressurized Gundogan and. And De Bruyne when he was in the middle, so really you've got no options. You you got the ball and you and you played it out wide, and 
sort of Mendy had, had a lot of space on one side, and but he's trying to th- thread thread a cotton through the eye of a needle, trying to get a ball in, to pick out Jesus or whoever in the box. And it was only in the second half when you know there was there was one that the pullback for Sterling, that kind of thing is it has to be perfect. Um, and they, do, they were just a long way from being perfect. I was going to say, Adam, it, it always feels like um, like if we, we stand here and we say, well, City, I mean, I don't really sit, remember City creating that much where, where the goalkeeper had to work. And then you think back to the chances where like the, the ball that hits Sterling in the face where, you know, a, a couple of millimetres and it hits him in the face and he's on target. You've got the one where um, Sterling robs the defender and, and doesn't get a shot away. There's a, like the pullback John's mentioning. There were some good chances in there. Yeah, and you've got Laporte's one that just uh, missed the post as well. I think it wasn't um, a lack of chances; that it was lack of taking them. Obviously, I can't think of Arsenal having too many, but they had two chances and took them. So, and uh, apart from an Edison save earlier, so there's the difference. There, we weren't clinical enough; we weren't alive enough. You talk about Sterling getting hit in the face with it. It's just that, that extra alertness that we just didn't have in that game typical City that were looking great before it, it comes to the cr- the crunch game and we, we just choked on the day um, but we certainly had chances to uh, to get back into the game but we just didn't take them and we've, we'd been doing that in so in all the other games we were taking our chances and obviously the one that matters typical City, we can't, <laughs> we're not alert enough to take them. Well, like John says though, that like if there's no space what else can City do other than just get the ball in the, in the box? Is there, is there anything they can do well it was so frustrated just lumping them in to just see louise lapping it up we made him look like an absolute prime company on on a on the weekend after making him look like a clown earlier on in the season in the, in the restart you've seen so much of pep's success in getting a winger down to the byline and pulling it back for uh, sterling to tap him from the six yard box we've seen it time and time again and like johnny alluded to there once when you've not got that space although you're having to thread passes through the eye of a needle just to get in those positions it's tough and we looked clueless and it's very rare that uh, we look clueless this season it's happened a lot like johnny says once we've got a goal down we look like we don't know we've not got any solutions to that but do how much do we can we put on the fact that arteta knows how pep's going to uh, set up he knows how he approaches these type of games and have we i don't want to buy into that theory too much but you've got to mention the arteta factor in that he knows pep intimately and he knows what what type of tactics to apply to nullify him well, John, I, I was going to come to this because Mike Cook on Twitter asks, uh, why does Guardiola use inverted wingers against a low block? And basically getting at, at, at the fact that there's no, that if you want to get the ball to the byline, get your wingers on their natural side and, and get a low ball in a, a, across the face of goal. Yeah, but you've also got to have people in the box to try and uh, finish these chances off. And, and that's where Sterling has been so successful over the past few seasons. You know, he's... he's a master at coming in from from wide and and, and getting the, getting on the end of things. Um, similarly, Mares can go either, either way. Really, he's, he's equally well footed, and him playing on the right against um, against Arsenal, he, he actually was the only person to have a shot on target during the game when he cut inside and hit a low low shot to the near post that was well saved by Martinez. So, yeah, uh, the thing is, you know, I. My my footballing knowledge from from where I've been schooled is in a game like that you stick on a six and a half foot striker and <laughs> hit balls to him and and that's Pep is ne- never going to do that. His answer is you just do it better. You just if it's not working, it's because you're not doing it right. Um, and you know, it, look, it's worked throughout his career. He's worked brilliantly for two seasons at City. It worked unbelievably well at Barcelona, and that's where he wants this team to be. So, if they're going to get anyway, you know, it's no good signing Peter Crouch and saying, "Right, we can't find another way through." Stick him up front. His answer is, "You just do it better." Yeah, I mean, Suleiman on Twitter asks, uh, "When was the last time that Pep used the wingers to widen the pitch rather than the fullbacks?" I don't think I've seen him do it this season, and I, I suppose that, that kind of taps into the same thing, Adam, because at the minute it, like, you've got Walker and you've got Mendy as the the ones who are offering the the real width, and Mares and Sterling are really tucked in. 
Yeah, and um, his Barcelona days, Pep played without a striker, so he really had the answers to it. But for us, he doesn't seem to... Since Sane went off the boil, uh, went off uh, injured, and then the Solskjaer subsequently left the club, we've not had that real width uh, attacking with Sterling likes to cut inside. Mares only ever cuts inside, and he's doing a really good job of it this year. But when they're not able to find those gaps inside, we've got nothing on the out on the outside. I don't know why we're not using our attacking players on that overlap um, that we, we use the wing, uh, the right back and left back for more. And if they're not doing it, I don't know why we then just revert to whipping it in. If you keep doing the same thing over and over again, uh, you're going to get the same results. So I don't know why he keeps, because it's not as if we're, we're a revelation at whipping balls in and scoring headers. Um, so I don't know why that's that, what's, that's the tactic that we revert to each time. It's quite frustrating, really. What what I will say in, in Guardiola's defence in, in that kind of point is that uh, these are players at City that, that are good enough to be able to find that space between the centre-backs, you know, and drop a ball right in that, that kind of six inches of, of space where you need to be able to get, where you need somebody to get on the end of it. Um, so, so it's not necessarily trying the same things over and over again and getting and expecting different results. It's trying the perfect thing and trying to perfect it, I suppose. Um, John, I want to ask about, about Guardiola and the bench as well, because there's been a growing feeling around social media that, that Guardiola doesn't really use the bench as, uh, to the best of his abilities. No, there's not been too many occasions when he's, he's pulled out a substitution that's completely changed the game. Uh, there aren't a huge amount of, of different options. Uh, like you say, there's no, you know, Sonny has gone now. He was a slightly different forward to what else, to to what what they haven't got. Bernardo is kind of a different option in, in some ways in that he's, you know, he can, he, he can go all, he can dribble, he can pick a pass, but he's just not, not at it at the moment. Things aren't happening for him for whatever reason. Um, They're all diminutive, tricky players. Yeah, I, I I do think in games like this is perhaps where Aguero is missed in that, you know, love love Jesus, love what he, he he works so hard, he does so much, he's got everything about his game. But these are the games where you just need an out and out striker, and you know it's it's it, it it's no disrespect to say he's not as good as Aguero because Aguero has been the best, one of the best in the world for for a decade. And he's still one of the best. But these are the games where when a half chance drops, he he scores, he takes it. And you know, Jesus didn't even have a half chance on, on Saturday. And that, that's where that's where I think Aguero's missed. And that, that's where I think they really need him back for the Champions League. It's going to be similar tight games. And and sometimes Jesus' confidence drops when he's not scoring goals. Um and Aguero will just snap. Well, Aguero can miss, of course, but he's more likely to snap, snap them up. Yeah, just on, just on that quickly, is is there any news about Aguero in the Champions League and his fitness? Is he is he likely to be back, likely to make it? Well, I think the last we heard was well, Pep said that he, he's definitely out of the Real Madrid game. So uh, hopefully, City get through that, and then and then he's in with a chance of playing in the quarterfinals. Yeah, um, let's talk about Watford and uh, and a, a nicer game for City fans to watch, Adam. Um, because I I don't know about you, but I got the feeling pretty early on in that game that Kevin De Bruyne wants this assist record. Yeah, so that was like a the complete opposite of the Arsenal game. I think we were playing with a bit of freedom. There was nothing on the game. Uh, De Bruyne was spraying passes as we used to. I think he was trying to force it too much in the Arsenal game. And once he's, is it a bit worrying that once he's off his game, the whole team's off his game? Yeah, yeah, I used to have that effect with the team. Um, but going back to the Watford game, we were just a team brimming with bizarrely brimming with confidence um you we were we were in the ascendancy from the half hour mark onwards and never really looked like succumbing to to that once we'd got our noses in front um and i think it goes again with that pressure thing no one was talking about the watford game everything was on the arsenal game so we've just turned up done the job and we were playing with freedom and that showed really yeah, he's on 19 assists now, John. Uh, one more will level the record. Uh, two more will break it. Do you think he'll do it? Yeah, I think he will. I think he'll be desperate to play against Norwich. And uh, I mean, the, I don't know if if you if if I'm looking for it or we are looking for it. But sometimes you get the impression that he's trying to pick a pass rather 
than than shoot sometimes. So there was, there was one certainly against Watford where he thought, "Why did he just smash that in?" <laughs> he's tried to he's tried to roll it across to Sterling, but you know, I it would be fantastic. I don't know, a real sort of landmark moment to to get twenty assists is you know quite a, a quite a feat. Only been done once before, and, and and to and to then hold the record for the most in the season. I mean, I, I'm not always a, a big fan of assists as a st- statistic because I think it's it, it doesn't always tell a true tale. Yeah, you, you can know, you, you can get one, can't you, by passing it in the midfield, the other player running round, beating three players, going round the goalkeeper and popping yeah. it in, but you get the assist. Yeah, exactly. Or you can or you can you can hit a fantastic eighty yard ball and someone you know just laid it to the side and and they get the assist and stuff like that but i think over a season the the players who are at the top of the assist charts are the ones are there because they are consistently providing opportunities so i, I think at the very top end it does mean something and you know we we all know that kevin is has been the best he was the best in germany for uh at the time he was there and he's been the best in the premier league since he's been with city Adam, there was there was a moment where he almost got the ball clean through on goal, and I did wonder if he would stop and wait for support to pass it to, and instead of uh, taking on the shot. Uh, and then there were there was cries for him to take the penalty. Um, do you reckon he could have passed that in one of those, you know, one of those bizarre pen- where you just lay it off to the side? Yeah, I think he definitely would have if he was taking it. Um, we would have had the the Perez Henri moment again, no doubt. Um, he's he's gunning for this. The assist stats don't, as a statistician, they don't mean anything to me either. You've with the reasons you've alluded to, but he's desperate for it. He's even called out the Premier League in <laughs> on Twitter when they've took ones off him with the dubious goals panel and thing. So he knows what what's at stake. He wants. I think he's had a uh, a private word with Henri about it through the Belgian connections and the national team. So he's gunning for it. He is desperate to get that record, and he, he will chase that until the 90th minute uh, at the weekend, definitely. Uh, let's talk Raheem Sterling as well, because it was a great finish for the opening goal. Uh, he won the penalty, which he then missed, but did go on to score, Adam. So like, we've, we can forgive him that, can't we? Yeah, he just likes to add that uh, missed penalty statistic as well, because we see him, unless it's De Bruyne taking it, we don't like scoring penalties. <laughs> He's another one who's chasing records now. And there's, that's what this type of game will be about now. There's nothing on it apart from personal accolades. He wants to be scoring 20 goals as a winger, as he, as he referred to. And um, he'll be looking for that. And if, it, if it's uh, De Bruyne that can assist that, it'll be the perfect combination. Well, I was, I was thinking about this, John, because like, Sterling's record is actually ridiculous for a player that, that isn't a central player. He's now got as many Premier League goals as Fernando Torres and Eden Hazard, and he's scored more Premier League goals than Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what, what was it, three, three, four seasons ago, everyone was saying that he couldn't finish. Exactly. And that was, and that was, that was his problem. Um, yeah, he's, he's just improved his game so, so much in that, it was just a, a, a brilliant strike against Watford. It was unstoppable. Um, Foster didn't even bother diving for it. It was just past him, beaten for power. Uh, pro- you know, it's a, a new type of goal that for Sterling. Um, he's yeah. you know he's, he's he's now got the hang of finishing one on ones. He's got this great move where he cuts inside and rolls it into the far corner. He can dummy and beat another man and, and get into the box and finish that way. He, he, he's like. Uh, we were saying before he's got this knack of when when the um, when they're breaking down the the right hand side, he he arcs his run so that he's coming into the six yard box to get on the end of it. Knows exactly what's happening because of the of the the Guardiola system. It's just perfect for for City and and just improving all round. You know he's he's a leader for England. Um, confident off the pitch. It's just becoming one, you know, an absolutely fantastic player. Well, you, you say chasing records as well. This is probably a slightly too far for him uh, because if Jamie Vardy, Danny Ings, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, and Mohamed Salah don't score at this weekend, uh, then uh, only five goals will get in the Golden Boot. So uh, you never know. <laughs> well, he'd have to think that he might have to take a penalty. So that that that's probably done for then, isn't it? <laughs> 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Right, so it's dawned on every City fan during lockdown that we've all seen David Silva playing live for City probably for the very last time. After 10 years at the Etihad, four Premier League titles, five League Cups, two FA Cups and three Community Shields and possibly one more trophy to come in the Champions League this season, fingers crossed, Silva has been there, done it and bought the t-shirt for the club. I've been speaking to the Spanish journalist Paul Bayus about the midfielder's career. I think that City was the place where, where he felt that uh, they really want him. I mean, for me, that was the turning point that made him decide, okay, I'm going to Manchester because I feel that they want me to be part of a new revolution, or if you can call it that way. And I think that if you look now at the last 10 years, uh, you could say that he has succeeded on that uh, aim. So I I think that uh, he made like the right choice. It's it's certainly. Uh, I mean, uh, when you think of that that City team that that really revolutionised what City would become under Mancini, mm-hmm. it was it was him and, and Yaya Toure that were the two key signings for that, really, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's kind of difficult uh, when when all the people from Spain, when we saw that David Silva was going to Man City, most of the people probably were saying, uh, "Well, he's making a mistake here because he could go to Real Madrid, he could go to the Spanish league, like." Uh, a more comfortable league to play in in his style because he was really used to that. Um, and he's going to Man City in a really physical football, um, really box-to-box. He's not that type, that, that type uh, of guy. But if you have to analyse David Silva, I think that um, you just cannot stop with his quality. You also have to uh, see his ability just to understand how he had to change his game and just do it. And just don't complain and be one of the best in a country that probably never expected to have this great version of, of David Silva. I was going to say, in terms of his, of his stature, certainly when he arrived, you know, he, he looked very diminutive. He, you know, yeah. he was not the tallest. Yeah, he, he, he looked like he'd get knocked around a bit, in the, certainly in the Premier League. And it just it never really happened. Yeah, it never really happened. I think that it helped him uh, a lot. His first loan as a footballer that was at uh, at the Basque Country in the north of Spain, it was at Eibar. Uh, that is a club um, with a lot of similarities with the British football, if you can call it that way. Um, because there's a lot of uh, physical contact, like you are getting used to play in stadiums that are not the Santiago Bernabeu, the Camp Nou. You know all the parts of football that are not in the spotlight. And I think that um, he understood there uh, at a very young age, I think he was 17 when he was there, um, that football um, also was more than making a pass, than scoring a goal. It was like uh, understanding that you have to uh, get to some fitness levels, to some physical levels, and you have to adapt to it because if you don't do that, um, football is going to tear you apart. So I think that it has been a thing that um, has been a constant uh, in his career. Just don't complain. Um, and work more for reaching your goal. I think that's the key as well that that don't complain thing because he, yeah. he he's, he's you barely hear anything from him. He, you know, he never he, he's never quoted in the press. He's never he never does sort of you know big interviews that sort of thing. What's what's his character like? Yeah, that's that's the thing about his character uh, as well. The thing that he doesn't really speak to the press. I mean, he's really shy with the people that he's not um, really confident with. He. I mean, he, when, when he doesn't know uh, anyone on the first uh, steps, he's not like the most open guy. And that's why he doesn't really like to, to uh, speak to the radios, to uh, speak to the papers, because he probably feels like out of place. Um, but when you're getting confidence with him, uh, I get the sense that, that he's a guy that uh, enjoys being surrounded of people that he can really rely on. Um, and I think that in the dressing room, you can also feel that he's not a guy that is going to make a speech on the UN <laughs> that is going to convince like uh, everyone. But he's a guy that when he talks, everyone is just listening. 
and that defines a lot of how his character is. He's like a silent leader, I would say. I think it, it kind of speaks to the reason why most of the City squad voted him as, as the captain when Guardiola was looking for someone to, to replace company as well in that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's an important part in the dressing room and he, he, he has always... He has also been like an important part for Pep because when Pep arrived here, um, of course, he needed like support from the old school here uh, at City. And I think that David Silva was probably one of the biggest parts uh, of that kind of players. Um, and it was like a big, big, big support for Pep and for the squad uh, as well that was really uh, respected uh, around. So, yeah, that was probably the, the thing that made him like... Uh, honoured with the captaincy. Now, you mentioned, obviously, Guardiola's arrival there. Um, what, 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 what's Pep done to him? Because, it, because his game seems to have got even better under, under Guardiola. Well, the thing is that I think that the quality of David Silva has always been there. Uh, I mean, and if he's one of the greatest players of the history of the Premier League, it's not just because of Pep. It, uh, in my opinion, it is because in the previous year he was outstanding, uh, as well as as you mentioned with Mancini and with Manuel Pellegrini uh, as well. But the thing with Pep, I think that if you um, think about which which players were the most important for Pep when he arrived at City in terms of trying to establish his way of playing football, I think that David Silva was top two, top three probably, because in the way of I mean, in all the tactical terms, how to understand the way that Pep wanted to play football, David was was basically top of the class. Uh, I mean, um, we all we all see that for the way that Peps want to play, um, the number eight role, the number ten role, like the central of the midfield, is probably the most important area because it uh, it modifies all the movements uh, around them. And I think that David Silva just just clicked when he was just there. Um, he know how to play on the pockets. We uh, hear Pep like uh, t- t- telling to the press how good is David Silva playing in the pockets. So you can see his admiration from from David Silva from the first minute that he was uh, on the bench, and I think that that has been probably one of the biggest impact that he's had for Pep during his time at City. In terms of of Silva and his his playing style. Because yeah. like, I, I'm interested to, to to get your view on, on kind of how he became well, certainly, you know, one of the best Premier League players, if not the best Premier League player of of this era, yeah. uh, purely because like if you want qualities in 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 his position, you you'd normally want somebody who's two footed, who's got a bit of pace and can shoot from range, and he can't really do any of that, but yet he can do all of that. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's difficult to explain because he's a player that is out of all the stats that you can count. I mean, he's he's never going to be the top goal scorer of, of the league. He's never going to be the, the the best tackler in the league. He's not going to be the, the one that wins more, more uh, duels, but he's just the best one he plays. Uh, I mean, he just controls um, just the flair of the game, the, the, the flair of the ball. And uses that just to dominate the the other teams. He doesn't need the stats. He doesn't need uh, like to score goals to show off. Um, he's just like doing the job, and he's doing it uh, br- brilliantly. And I think that this, um, I don't know if you can call it like like some ego, but this this uh, not having like a huge ego, I think that has played a huge part uh, in the benefit of the team, of course. How is he viewed, certainly now at the, at the latter stages of his career, how is he viewed over in Spain? So, to, to be honest, I think that he doesn't have like the recognition that he deserves. Uh, maybe because he has spent uh, the best years of his footballing career in, in England and the fact of not being in Spain make it like uh, a bit like far away. Um, but, yeah, uh, I mean... If if the press is not giving him like the recognition that he deserves, um, I think that you just have to listen to all his football play, to all his mates, to all the footballers that he has shared the dressing room with. Um, when you hear when Xavi, when Iniesta are speaking uh, uh, about that David Silva, you just uh, realize that he's one of the top generational talents of Spain, and he's one of the reasons why uh, Spain has been successful in the last decade. Um, but yeah, I think that probably. Um, this 
maybe this 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 thing of not liking too much uh, speaking with the press and not being on the spotlight um, hasn't been in in favor of him in terms of getting the recognition that uh, people in Manchester give him. But yeah, uh, I think that uh, in in time, when time when times goes by, um, he's going to be remembered as he deserves to be. And just finally, Paul, I just want to, to to ask you now: How lucky are City fans to have seen him for the last ten years? Uh, amazingly lucky. I mean, uh, I've been here for the last four years, and I feel that I'm seeing a player, one of the best players that that I've seen in my life. Um, so I think that um, probably now we are not really aware of that because we are seeing him because it's so present to us, seeing David Silva week in, week out. But when the uh, the, the, the toughest part about David Silva is going to be um, how are we going to miss him when he doesn't play. And that's when we are going to realize how lucky all the City fans and all the football fans that we have enjoyed him um, have been during that, that last 10 years. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was Paul Byers talking to me about David Silva. Uh, we can't, we're coming to the end of David Silva's career at City now. It's it, the, the clock is ticking down. Adam, are you, are you how, how are you feeling about you're not going to be there for the final game? Yeah, that's a bitter blow, really. Um, and I think the last time I saw him was West Ham at home. Didn't really think that was going to be the last time. So you don't really take it in, do you? Um, Sod's law that there's a lot of fans across the country that are going through the same thing with their players. But for someone who's made such a mark on us for such a long time, 10 seasons, 433 games so far, and we're not going to be there to wave him off. I fear that the club are going to put on a returning testimonial, a bit like companies. And I don't think that's going to have the same emotional uh, impact that the other testimonials can have uh, when they're a bit more relevant. So it's, I'm gutted to not be there to see his last game. And I think I speak for every City fan when, when I say that. John, have you had much contact with him in, in mix zones and stuff like that? He's a very, very quiet lad. Has he, has he ever, ever stopped or anything like that? Uh, quick answer to that, No. <laughs> I've spoken to him briefly. Um, he, he, he promotes um, the Canary Islands for, for tourism. Um, that's the only time we ever get to speak to him. Um, it, I mean, I probably gave up about nine years ago, even even asking. Um, <laughs> he's just he's just he, he's very shy, isn't he? That's the thing. I, I, I'm not. I just don't think he wants to speak to us. Basically, <laughs> um, you know, I think he's got pretty good English. He's just just he's just not interested, but. If if there's one person who gets a free pass, I think it's David Silva. Yeah, um, I, the the one for me. Uh, I don't know if you heard this, Adam, recently, but uh, it was it was the story that uh, Rob Green was telling on Five Live about uh, playing for playing for QPR and um, City. City was six nil up, and, and David Silva was running the show. Uh, and he said, and in his head, he's going, "I'm just not going to concede 10. And then he shouted. He said he shouted at one point to David Silva, "Just stop! You've won the game. Stop it!" Uh, and and Silva turned around to him and said, "My friend, I can't do that." <laughs> <laughs> what a player! What a player! And you know, that's all he knows how to play is beautiful football. He knows those intricate assists that we've seen him do time and time again, year after year. Um, you know, that's a great story. He's, he's not going to lesson is his approach to the game just for uh you know just out of niceness he'll 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 play to the end and he like i say he's, he's had an indian summer now in the way he's approached the latter games of this season he's been a revelation really since the restart and um yeah he just keeps on reinventing himself whether it's being his haircuts whether it's being the manager he's playing for the way he plays he's just been great fantastic John, can we can we say that he's City's best ever, given how how eras change and and how how the game changes between eras? And obviously, because obviously, you can't really compare him to the likes of Colin Bell, but he's he's been a phenomenal player for City. Yeah, um, I mean, for me, I would say he is the greatest player. But I, I mean, it's it's very very tough competition, difficult competition when you think Yaya was was amazing and and had some. Magical moments that perhaps David's not had. David Silva's just been consistently, week in, week out, probably the best player on the pitch, or one of the best players on the pitch. Uh, Yaya had those moments in in big games, which were incredible. Um, 
And then I think some, sometimes Aguero's slightly forgotten how, how brilliant he is. So if you choose any of those three, I think you're not going to go far wrong. But I would personally go for David Silva just because I don't think we've seen a player like that be that successful in England in in terms of he's a, he's a small player and skillful and can pass the ball and things like that. And that's not, wasn't a, a way to be successful in England before then. There's been a few players, I suppose, that have, have been okay. But I mean, when he, I remember when he, when he first signed, I, I was um, away for the first couple of games of the season. And obviously there was a couple of players who signed. Balotelli was another one. And I sort of asked about, I asked someone about Silva and they were like, if, I'm not sure about him, you know, he's, he's he's very small and I'm not sure he's going to be a success in England. And he had that, that game against Blackpool, which which turned everything around. I mean, it wasn't, it was only sort of a month into his career or whatever, but he's just, he's, he's a fighter. He gives everything and, and he, just a, a pleasure to have watched him for a decade. I was going to say, Adam, when it like the thing that that was always leveled him at the start was that he would get knocked around, and then when you watch him, actually, you know, he's it, he's quite a little kicker, isn't he? He, he can yeah. leave his foot in. <laughs> he gives as good as he gets. I don't think I've ever seen him bullied in a game. I remember a game against Everton early on where David Moyes sent four different players to get a yellow card on him for kicking him off the pitch, <laughs> and you'd never know that he was the targeted man. He just carried on playing, never got, never really gets involved on the front of things. I've heard he likes to leave a foot in now and again, and that's part of the game management side that he's got. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we'll, we'll, t- we'll turn a blind eye to that bit. Yeah, exactly. He's ours, so we like him. I've never seen him get bullied off the off the pitch, yeah. and he never goes shirking for a small guy either. No, he doesn't. He, he, he does. He does do the hard work. I mean, how as a fan of uh, uh, who's been watching him all this time, Adam? How how do you feel to know that City got the best years of his career? Yeah, it's it's rare that we do that. Um, we're usually signing players at the twilight of the career, so we're, we're to to have got him at, su- at such a peak and then seeing him through. It's you know it's a privilege to have watched his greatest years. You've got a World Cup winner there. He's won everything apart from uh, the Champions League, and you know to to know that he's done that in a blue shirt and so re- so reliably. It's a privilege, and you know I'm just gutted that it's coming to an end. John, you mentioned the Blackpool goal. I com- I'd completely forgotten about that when I was trying to think of his highlights. Um, and the, the, my my, the, my two gut instincts were the goal that he scored at Hull uh, in the in the two 0 win when Company was sent off in the first uh, first half, uh, and the assist that that he put through for for Jacko for the for the final goal in the in the six one. Yeah, um, I mean there was a couple of other sort of landmark performances I can remember. It was QPR away? I just remember him being. Just dragging City all around on 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 the day, just leading from the front. There's that wonderful photograph where he's celebrating his goal yeah. in front of the floodlight. Yeah, uh, but one of the memories I have of have of him was uh, actually a defeat. The, it was the, the defeat to Barcelona the first time City played them, and a lot of players looked scared that day. And Silva was just just like, "Give me, give me the ball." He was brilliant that day, but it was a poor team performance. But he just stood out and just, just like, just give me the ball. I let's, we need to play the normal the way we normally play. So give it to me, and I'll try and make things happen. It's just and that that's the sort of courage that he, he's had throughout his his time with Spain, at, but obviously more pertinently with City. Yeah, um, Adam. He, uh, I mean, his his time at City's not been especially easy at, uh, in spells. Uh, there was that spell in in twenty seventeen eighteen, the Centurion season, where we all remember how good he was. It was the season he'd shaved his head, and he, you know, he stood out like a sore thumb in the middle of the pitch. Um, but we didn't know at the time of the trouble that he was going through in his personal life with his son uh, back in Spain. And the fact that he was flying home every, you know, every couple of days, and then spending what time he could with his son, and then coming back and, and just turning it on, I, I, it, it was, it's phenomenal to think of the levels he achieved that season with that in mind. Yeah, what a professional player he was. We didn't know. You're never getting any tabloid news about how him falling out of nightclubs. He never gave us any reason to worry off the pitch. Um, you, you think how alienated he must have felt with his family being 
not only in a foreign country to him, but being ill in a foreign country as well. The worry uh, that any parent would go through with, with that kind of situation you're facing, to be able to turn up to work in a different country to do it to the, uh, the level that he did and then sw- almost switch off and go back to being family man and then two days later doing the whole thing again, stepping on the pitch, being one of the best players on that pitch. How lucky are we that we had someone who was such a professional? I think the club handled it well. I think Pep really gave him le- leniency with it and he repaid us tenfold. Yeah, there's there, there's there's no doubt why he's now captain, is there, John, as well? Because the, the squad really do look up to him as a, as a leader on the pitch. Not necessarily a vocal leader, but a leader nonetheless. No, he's one of those. Uh, he's one of those people who, who leads by example. Um, like he's, like Adam said, you know, he'll never shirk a challenge, get stuck in, brave with the ball, um, and it's been very useful to, very helpful to a lot of young players. I mean, Phil Foden speaks very fondly of all the advice he's he's been given from him, and he's been players in the past. Eric Garcia is another one. Brahim Diaz, he's helped. People settle in. Um, yeah, there's just so many superlatives for him. Yeah, can we can, can we finish about his hair? Because like, there's, I don't think there's a finer sight in football than when David Silver is jogging and that hair bounces like it does. <laughs> I'm not sure I could get away with a haircut <laughs> like that, but he's just uh, yeah, it's, that's just the magic of David Silver, isn't it? Just absolutely distraught when he shaved it off, Adam, I was. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, I like... Um, he had a little bit of a time-wasting tactic. When he knew his name was coming up off of the, on the board and we were winning 1-0 against Chelsea, he walked over to the touchline near the East Stand just to ruffle his... Uh, he liked to ruffle his fingers through his hair as if that was a adequate uh, time-wasting uh, technique. <laughs> so I'll always thank him for that game and shipper, like I say. Well, uh, we, we wait and see what happens with uh, with David Silver. Obviously, there's there's the potential of him being involved with City in the Champions League at the end of this uh, the end of this season, and there will be some sort of send off after that as well. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Let's look ahead now to the game with Norwich, uh, because this game means absolutely nothing. So, John, could that make it fun? Uh, yeah, it could. It could. It's, I mean, it's, it's a while since City haven't had much riding on the end of the season game. Um, even even Pellegrini's last season, I think there was something, they were still fighting for that fourth place, weren't they? So, um, yeah, it could be interesting. Um, I mean, there are a few things to, to look out for, like we said, De Bruyne's assist record, uh, David Silva's final game. I think there's a couple of players who were are fighting to be part of the team in in consideration for uh, for that game against Real Madrid. Most notably, perhaps Joao Cancelo after his performance against Watford. That was perhaps a, a breakthrough performance, maybe too late, but um, you know it was good to see what he's capable of after a, an indifferent season, where he's he's not, he's not really taking his opportunity to show what he can do. Yeah, Adam, are you are you looking to to send them off with a bit of a battering after that three two defeat at Carrow Road earlier in the season? Yeah, I'm still not over that. I think they lost about ten games after we after they played as world beaters against us. So I I want to hold a grudge, you know me, um, <laughs> and I'm hoping it's a repeat of those high scores that we saw under Mancini against them. Um, yeah, I just think it's when we play with freedom, when we play with nothing on it, we're at our best. Uh, Pep's not going to need to think much about it. I can't imagine Norwich even wanting to turn up for the game. Um, you know, they've been relegated for, or we've known them to be relegated for a while now. And it's just a bizarre game. No fans there, nothing to play for, uh, just records really. And they'll be famous last words, but I think we'll, we will pummel them, yeah. Well, I, nice that one. well, I was going to say, John, I, uh, I I text you both before the show to get your score predictions. Uh, we're, g- we're going to come on to that a bit later on, so so keep it a secret what you've what you've picked. But what was the phrase you used? I think we're going to smash them. 
Well, Norwich have been absolutely terrible since the return, uh, since since lockdown. Um, like we say, we've got these records to go for. I think City need uh, three, is it, to get past a hundred goals again? So they'll 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 come out thinking goals, going for goals. So yeah, Norwich are terrible. City <laughs> want goals. I think I think Pep also he he's been talking about he wants to see them to see them playing like the. I'm trying to think of the phrase that he said. He, but, he always says he always says smell. I want to smell them. Yeah. You know, I, which, I I want to get that feeling from them. Yeah, which suggests to me, like don't don't get a couple of goals and and ease off. Just keep going and going and, and working on your game, pulling them apart, um, which I think is quite scary for Norwich. Well, even it, it, last time it was a dead rubber at the Etihad. Uh, this one, Adam, it finished three-two to Norwich. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was at the um, the um, Jack Rodwell. It was. Jack, Jack, yeah, he scored. He scored two goals. Brian Kidd in charge. Those were the days. Yeah. Did they did they have something riding on that game? Can you remember? Or I think they were safe in mid table by that right, stage. Okay, yeah. so that's obviously bizarre because yeah. So uh, I just remember Jack Rodwell's two goals really, and then we kind of capitulated. So I hope that doesn't happen this weekend. Well, it's I, I, I double checked this with you as well before the game because uh, Edison's in line for the Golden Glove as well. Yes, and that would be a nice end to the season because, bizarrely, City's defence has been what's caused them the issue, we believe, has caused them the issues this year where we've not achieved the heights of previous seasons, yet we're in line for a golden boot. Does that just mean everyone's defence is rubbish this year? <laughs> yeah, it, doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. He's he's on joint 15 with uh, Pope at Burnley at the moment, and uh, so obviously if he keeps a clean sheet, he's guaranteed to get the golden gloves. He just might have to share them with somebody else. Um, uh, John... Uh, yeah, you have a glove each year, uh, John. Let's uh, just before we get on to the predictions for this game, can you can you sum up this season, this this Premier League season for City as it comes to a close? How how do you look back on it? Um, wow, that's a big question, isn't it? Um, in some for some people, perhaps a season season too far. I mean, it's just they've just been incredible for two seasons and. It was just perhaps a bit unrealistic to think it could go for a third season. And I mean, at the start of the season, I did think they were going to win the league again because I thought Liverpool wouldn't be able to match what they'd done the the year before and and been picked by a point. I thought the the points tally tally that needed would be a lot less. Um, But Liverpool just started in such incredible form. Uh, City dropped a few points here and there. You know, City, like we said, Norwich away wouldn't wouldn't have happened the two seasons before losing at Liverpool. It was almost over before it began. It it, it was like City's Centurion season in that they got they started the season so well that it, it was just done and dusted. Um, and then they just had a bit of a, a hangover feel about the second half of the season. So. They'll, I think they'll be fresh and ready to go again next season. Um, and just, just chalk this one down off to um, just, just didn't happen. Yeah, um, Adam, it's it's a, a strange sort of feeling to be disappointed with a season where you finish second comfortably in the Champions League for next season. Uh, you've won a trophy, and you know your points totally is more than the, the points total that you would get in most of your other Premier League seasons. Yeah, I mean, we started it with a Charity Shield win as well. We've scored 141 goals this year. We've won 40 matches. It's it's a, it's a crazy time when you're gutted with that as an outcome. Bizarrely, I think this season will only be quantified by how we're doing the Champions League now. I think to look at the fixtures we had at the beginning of the season, it was almost over when we drew to all with Tottenham in our first home game. That's how relentless Liverpool were in those early early stages. So now that's forced everything to go on these two cup runs. We've fallen at the first hurdle in the Arsenal game, as we've much documented, much talked about. And I think now we'll only be able to quantify this season with the outcome of that Real Madrid game. 
Well, uh, we'll be coming on to that a bit later on because uh, we are going to do uh, some special Champions League podcasts for as long as City are in the tournament. So we'll uh, we'll talk about that one in good time. Uh, but for now, for the final time in the Premier League this season, we're going to try and raise some money for the Christie in our charity bet. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single with the winnings going to the Cancer Treatment Hospital in South Manchester. We're on £870 for the season so far to this point. So uh, it'd be nice to add some money to the pot. I'm going to start on this one because I think uh, City are going to come out of the traps like uh, like. John suggested. I've gone for five mil, and uh, that's nine to one and ninety pounds. Uh, Adam, what's uh, what's your score prediction for this one? I've I've gone for four one, just because I think it'd be typical City to not let Edison get his Golden Glover wall last day of the season against a team that have got nothing to play for. Four one. It would be it would be perfect to sum up this season as well, wouldn't it? So that's uh, <laughs> that, that, that's twelve to one and one hundred and twenty pounds. John, what's this smashing that City are going to well, do then? Yeah, like I said, I just think they're going to absolutely tear them apart and it's just it's impossible to predict this one isn't it it could be 4 5 6 7-0 8-0 9-0 so I've gone for 7 7 7 nil. so Norwich yeah. the first team I think I think that would make Norwich the first team to concede 7 at the Etihad twice um so that would be uh, 28 to 1, if you're right about that. So that's £280 uh, and would take us uh, past the the £1,000 for the season. So that would be grand if you could be, if you could pull that one off. Have a, have a word with Peb on Friday. Okay. Um, uh, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change and please gamble responsibly. For more information on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Now, if City fans thought the Centurion season was good, then they were about to be treated to something very special indeed. But it didn't come without its stresses as it came down to the finest of fine margins. Rob Wilson is back for the final time this year to take us through the 2018-19 campaign. The question at the start of the 2018-19 season was simple. Could City live up to expectations after their Centurion's success? Leicester's Riyad Mahrez was the only summer signing, and Pep Guardiola's team began with a 2-0 win over Chelsea in the Community Shield. Sergio Aguero's brace saw him reach a landmark 200 goals for the club. Little touch there for Sergio Aguero! And there is goal number 200 for Manchester City. City then went 15 league games unbeaten, registering 13 wins in the process. In early October, they faced Liverpool at Anfield. The game finished 0-0, and Mares missed a crucial penalty late in the game that could have earned City all three points, at a ground where they'd not won since 2003. But journalist Jack Gorn saw some positives. It was that controlled, and they were quite happy to sit in and wait for the chance, and they got a massive chance, and they, and they mm. fluffed it. I mean penalty goes in and that's an absolute flawless performance. City's impressive start to the season then took a hit. Three defeats in four over Christmas saw them fall well behind Liverpool in the title race. In the new year, City was seven points behind the league leaders but had the chance to close the gap as Jurgen Klopp's side visited the Etihad. With a tight game level at 1-1 heading into the latter stages, Leroy Sane fired home in off the post. Journalist Sam Lee thought it was an important win. Had it gone the other way, it wouldn't have been over because City have won titles from more irretrievable positions, but 10 points and the momentum, it would have been completely different, but that is completely irrelevant now and Liverpool have now got to go and look at themselves and maybe you know ask a few questions of themselves for the first time this season. But the season was far from over. A 2-1 defeat at Newcastle saw City fall behind again and the podcast panel had trouble working out what had gone wrong at St James's Park. I don't think Newcastle were particularly good. Like Obviously, they, they set up well, stopped us from playing. I thought, to be fair to them, I thought they deserved the points. I, I, I came away from that game thinking City actually deserved nothing out of that game. They were near our net twice, so. But, the, but <laughs> it went in twice. But what threat did City carry? That's that, that, I suppose, is the point. Remarkably, that proved to be City's last league defeat of the season. They dispatched Arsenal and Everton before they comprehensively dismantled Chelsea 6-0. Sergio Aguero scored his 11th Premier League hat-trick too, levelling Alan Shearer's record. And two weeks later, City and Chelsea squared off again, this time in the League Cup final. After City had recorded a 10-0 aggregate victory over Burton in the semi-final, the final was incredibly tense. It went all the way to penalties, and Raheem Sterling took the winning kick. Sterling scores! And Manchester City win the first silverware of the season! The first leg of the quadruple that they are going for! 
But just as City got one trophy in the bag, the quadruple dream was dashed. City were knocked out of the Champions League by Tottenham Hotspur, and in the cruelest way, Sterling thought he'd scored a stoppage time winner to take City through, only for it to be ruled out by VAR for offside. The panel tried to cheer themselves up. One thing that did cheer me up, my nephew came to his first City game yesterday, which is a particular result for the family because his dad is a massive home and away match going United fan. And by the end of the game, once, once he was getting in the car with my sister and we were saying goodbye to him, my mum said, you know, we hope you enjoyed your first game and don't worry that they lost. And he just looked at us and went, well, we didn't lose. Uh, you know what? I like that attitude. God love him. God love yeah, him. Yeah, I like that. And he's quite right. We didn't lose. Well, at least, at least <laughs> someone went home, my people. Because yeah. I because I punched a coffee table, and I'm not <laughs> and I'm not a violent man. A glass glass one or what? That was wooden. All oh, right, okay. In the league, City pressed on. A tense Manchester derby at Old Trafford swung their way, with Bernardo Silva and Leroy Sane both scoring in a two-nil win. And with City and Liverpool evenly matched, it came down to the very last week of the season and it was Leicester who were proving a tough nut to crack, and City looked out of ideas until this happened. Company. Had a look, had a hit! Oh! Captain Fantastic! Vincent Company's 30-yard goal of the season left him in tears, and meant that City needed three points on the final day against Brighton to retain the title, and that's exactly what they did. They fell behind early on, but goals from Aguero and Imeric Laporte had City in front by half-time. Mares and Ilkay Gundogan then finished the job in the second half, as City won 4-1. They haven't had De Bruyne all season, they've had mm-hmm. Fernandinho out for the running. Yeah. They, they, they've missed key players and still they've been relentless, and that for me it just shows the, the scale of, of how good this City team is. This is Pep's credit, and you know, credit to the players as well, but Pep and his coaching team, we've seen it again this year, that this success has not just been built on how good the team are, this success has been built on the improvement of individual players. But that still wasn't the end of the honours for the season. City faced Watford in the FA Cup final, and not only did they win, but the 6-0 scoreline equalled the record for the largest ever victory in that fixture. Richard Burns looked back over the previous two seasons. The season with 100 points, as if that wasn't enough, is backed it up by being the first manager to manage a team to back-to-back titles in the Premier League in a decade. Um, He's done it not just 100 points one season, but with 98 points the next, and backed it up with a domestic treble. Um, He's been absolutely phenomenal. He's coached good players to being great players and, and great players to... Um, just a whole new levels. You can see it with, with every individual, almost every individual that he's worked with. The day after securing the historic domestic treble, Captain Vincent Company then announced that he would be leaving. In his time at the Etihad, he won four Premier League titles, two FA Cups, four League Cups and two Community Shields. It made him one of City's most decorated players. It brought to an end a spectacular decade for City, who were the most dominant team in England throughout the 2010s. And back in August 2009, there can't have been many who expected the next 10 years to be as good as they were. My name's Ricky the Hitman Hatton, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. I'm up there at the final season in City's last decade. Now, uh, for the final time this season, we're going to turn to Ask the Panel, which is uh, your opportunity to quiz the panel here. Uh, we're going to start with Harry Scanlon on Twitter, who asks, what do you think of Guardiola's comments about Jao Cancelo? Uh, John, you talked about him uh, a bit before. Let's have a listen to what, what Pep Guardiola had to say. The most incredible thing from Joao is now he's another man, different, completely different man than he came and he arrived. We need time to understand each other, him to me and the, and the team. Me to him too. And uh, what I want is his behavior that he's, he's doing in the last, after we start. Unfortunately, unfortunately for us, when we came back to our start the training session, 
he was the best player that uh, was training session and was incredible. And unfortunately, have a little problem in the dangerous part of the, his leg, and he should be a stop for a for a while. But only what I wanted to draw is this this happiness in the training session, his relation with the mates, and uh, he's enjoying because we know the quality they have. He's in special. He's fast in, with the boys. Incredible talent player. And with this happiness he's showing in the training session, is going to help us a lot the next season. He understands us uh, better than the beginning, and we understand him better than the beginning. Sometimes you need time. And it was, uh, and now he's a happy man. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. I think that's interesting, John, because uh, it's it's that angle of, of you need time to bed into a Guardiola team, but it, it's just that phrase, he's a happy man. Yeah, it's interesting to hear him say that. I mean, he wouldn't be the first player to need time to settle under Pep. You know, we've seen Bernardo Silva didn't have a great first season and then a brilliant second. Mares took a little time. Uh, there's, there's been others. Uh, when Cancelo's first signed, I spoke to a couple of people about him and they were saying he's just the ideal Pep player. He's got everything about him and um, it just it just hasn't happened. I, I think... Were he left-footed, he may have played more games because left-back's more of a problem position than right-back. But Kyle Walker's had a good season. He looks, uh, you know, he's been consistent all year. Consistently City's best fullback. So, you know, when you're struggling with fullbacks, you're going to stick with Kyle Walker. And if Cancelo didn't feel settled or at home, he's not going to, it's not going to help him playing on, on the wrong side of defence. So that's part of the reason. But if he's come back from lockdown happy, feeling comfortable, it's an exciting thing for next season. Maybe even this season for the Champions League. But it's good to see because he was highly rated when he came and we've not really seen enough of it. Well, John mentioned that, uh, earlier on in the show, Adam, um, that uh, that Cancelo was a, w- w- played well at Watford in the left back role. Uh, Paul Percival on Twitter asks: Can Joe Cancelo be City's long term left back when Mendy isn't fit or available? I'm not sure about uh, him being long term left back. Uh, the answer to left back because Pep does like his balance. But a, a few points on Cancelo. Um, I didn't realise how much he came in for money wise. I think it was around fifty eight to sixty million. So has he come in and expected to be the first choice right back because the club are play, paying that money for him? And it's it's weird to hear Pep speak so candidly about someone who wasn't. Uh, uh, mustn't have been happy at the beginning and now he is so he, he Pep's obviously convinced that those uh, days are behind them for him to be able to speak like that but I watched Cancelo against Southampton uh, we got beat but he was the best player on the pitch and since then I've, I've wanted to see more of him in the team and I was more than happy with him at left back um, he'll, I think he'll, he may play left back against Madrid because uh, is, is Mendy suspended for that one he is yeah yeah, so I think he's the answer for the temporary left-back issue. I don't think he's the answer forever at left-back, but he's certainly more than adequate to fit in a Pep side. Um, when he first signed, Neville, Gary Neville was waxing lyrical about him from his days at Valencia seeing him, and he said, we've signed a real top player. And we've not seen that this year, but there are starting to show signs, and he's, he's, he's had a few column inches this week, Cancelo, uh, after his Watford performance. And I think certainly he's got, a point to prove in these, this last game in hopefully try and cement that left-back place, but I don't think it's forever. Uh, finally, Simon K on the emails asks, when City don't score early, the games have become a huge slog in ways that they didn't in Pep's last two seasons and even in his first season as well. How does City stop that from happening next season? Uh, Adam, I'm, I'm going to throw this one to you. It's not an, it's not an easy question to finish on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm as perplexed as, as anyone really. I've noticed it this year that when we go behind, we don't seem to have the answers alluded to it earlier uh, that we have had over previous seasons. Previous seasons, you've had a bit of confidence to say, we're going to turn this around. We're going to keep going till the end. Sterling's going to pick something out from nowhere. Silva might unlock something. De Bruyne can. Foden's now capable of it. Uh, but this season, we just seem beaten as soon as that first one goes in. Um, I'm thinking back to Newcastle. Uh, we we equalised and then took the, uh, we took the lead and then 
conceded again. There's been times when even if we do get ourselves back into it, it's only for a certain period of the game and we're going to slip behind again. That's completely out of uh, keeping with what's happened under Pep in previous games. Pep's a genius. We expect him to have all the answers. And uh, uh, the question's correct. We've not looked like getting ourselves out of that hole once we've uh, been in it. I think the Madrid game is the first, is a, a recent time when we've come from behind and actually won that game. But um, we've not looked like doing it, and I don't actually know why that is. Well, John, let me let me give you some numbers on this one, because when City have conceded the first goal in a game uh, this season, their record is 1-6, drawn 1, lost 10. Uh, they've never they've never lost that many in in any of Pep's previous seasons when they've conceded the first goals. Yeah, I, it's very difficult to to put your finger on why exactly they can't seem to get themselves out of it because they don't seem to even create a you know score a goal. It's quite often a, a one nil or a, or you know a or a second goal conceded and just a, just a general sort of. Lack of confidence. It become it's become a bit of a pattern, and you get like like the fans. I'm sure the players think the same that oh, we're going to go behind now, and this is a, a bad omen because we never seem to turn it round. And you know, you, you go back to those streaks of wins they put together for two two seasons, and nothing seems to bother them. They just dust themselves down and, and just win every game. Um, I think the, I think the longest winning minutes. yeah I think the, I think the longest winning run this season is about four games isn't it in the league? Uh, is it yeah something like that? Um, yeah, it's they, they just they just a couple of fresh faces, um, a new season, new start, a run of wins, and th- things can turn around pretty quickly. You know that, it, it, you know Pep. Pep knows how to win games better than anybody. He's got the best win percentage record of of any manager in England. The same when he was in Spain, same same when he, when he was in Germany. He knows how to win win games, and he will have a lot of ideas how to turn it around. Well, that's uh, that's a positive to finish on, I think, in that case, uh, because that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it, then please head on over to wherever you get your podcasts and give it a rating and a review. We've also got a Patreon page where we do a bonus podcast throughout the season, and the final one for this year is all about the team of 2012, what it achieved and how hard it was to watch those players move on. There are more details on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. This week's is the final one of the season because next week's podcast is Blue Moon Podcast Live in. Tickets are on sale now and the money from them is going to the Man City fans food bank support and this year you don't even need to be in Manchester if you want to come to the show because it's been done online through Zoom with our special guest Nedim Anua as well so check out more details on our Twitter feed at Blue Moon Podcast Thanks to my guest this week Adam Carter Cheers and Goal.com's Jonathan Smith Thank you very much We'll see you next week for the live show See you then was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.